Hi, ladies. This is Noor Tahini, co-founder of Goodness and host of the Goodness Podcast. I'm thrilled to announce the launch of True Story on our podcast channel. These stories are audio versions of articles that were originally published on goodness.me. In addition to our podcast interviews, we'll also be releasing one new True Story each week. So we hope you enjoy this one, and we'll see you next week. Today's story, Parts Unknowable, Why We Keep Our Mental Health Issues a Secret, was written by me, Grace Gordon, and published on goodness.me on June 12, 2018. It was 2008 that brought Anthony Bourdain into my life by way of a borrowed book and a television show. Kitchen Confidential introduced me to his writing voice, his cagey, wise turns of phrase and anarchic tendencies to call out the powers that be. No Reservations introduced me to the man himself, rakishly tall, too tanned, and wiry in a way that suggested boundless kinetic energy. I knew right away that this person would be of lasting importance to my life. In fact, I've spent the last decade playing a game called Where Would I Take Anthony Bourdain to Eat? In my head, I added to the list every time I stumbled across an idyllic hole-in-the-wall or off-the-radar food truck. I played it with loved ones, with friends and acquaintances, and with strangers. I'd ask, if you were giving a tour of your city to Anthony Bourdain, where are the top five places you'd take him? Part of this was selfish research for my own future dining excursions, but the other part, the part I loved the most, was hearing the enthusiasm in people's voices when they shared the restaurants and meals they were passionate about. Food unifies us. Food heals us. Food can cross a bridge divided. Bourdain knew this better than anyone. On Friday morning, the first thing I saw when my eyes fluttered open and my hands automatically reached for my phone was news that Bourdain had committed suicide. I squeezed my eyes shut again, blinking back tears that had arrived without warning. Nope, he's not dead. That's impossible. Denial, swift and severe. Bourdain wasn't just America famous. He was world famous. From Iceland to Cuba, there was scarcely a country he didn't touch with his peerless curiosity and insight. In the days following his death, it was the outpouring of grief from the citizens, hosts, and guides from those experiences that broke my heart the most. They were so grateful for how he had represented their homes to the world, and they were so awed by his balanced views and thoughtful storytelling. So was I. He was the opposite of an elitist or a snob. He was as happy scarfing a bratwurst, any kind of glistening tube of meat, really, on the street as he was dining at a Michelin-starred restaurant. He elevated the food of the country's poorest citizens and made it seem like must-try cuisine. He visited people's homes and ate the food they cooked with their own hands, never criticizing or slyly glancing at the camera to suggest he knew better than they did. He was so, so gracious. But the Bourdain I saw also had a tendency to ruminate on darkness. He called out his demons, particularly in recounting his early days of drug and alcohol abuse in Kitchen Confidential, but did he ever face them? In a 2016 episode of Parts Unknown, where he visited Buenos Aires, Argentina, Bourdain noted the prevalence of therapists in the country, saying, Argentina has the distinction of being home to more head shrinkers per capita than anywhere else in the world. As part of the episode, he visits a therapist in which he revealed a long internal struggle with depression. 
I will find myself in an airport, for instance, and I'll order an airport hamburger. It's an insignificant thing. It's a small thing. It's a hamburger, but it's not a good one. Suddenly, I look at the hamburger and I find myself in a spiral of depression that can last for days, he confessed. I feel kind of like a freak and I feel very isolated. I communicate for a living, but I'm terrible at communicating with people I care about. At the end of the episode, he revealed, there's the evil cheeseburger that sets me off. Suddenly, I'm super depressed for days. It's like that with the good stuff, too. I have a couple of happy minutes there where I'm thinking life is pretty good. For someone whose life was the envy of the world, that is a pretty astonishing statement. Everyone I know, myself included, wanted to be Bourdain, wanted to travel and talk and eat and share and make a living at it. For a life like that not to satisfy, something must have been catastrophically wrong. When someone decides to take their own life, our first question is always, why? Unfortunately, there are rarely answers that satisfy. In Bourdain's case, it was especially unexpected because from the outside at least, it didn't add up. He was in the middle of shooting an episode with his best friend in one of his favorite cities. He was in love, and he was talking about the future. However, Eric Repair, his dear friend and colleague who found his lifeless body that fateful morning in a Paris hotel, revealed that Bourdain had been moody lately. That was the only sign, the only hint we've been given so far that something was amiss. And yet there is one detail that sticks out to me. He hung himself with the belt from his hotel bathrobe. That tells me it was spontaneous, unplanned, and an act of total, quiet desperation. It's the quiet that kills. Even if you are in a relationship with someone for a lifetime, you simply cannot know what goes on in their head. The world's best communicators can still struggle to find the words to define their mental state or might simply choose not to reveal that aspect of themselves at all. Trust me, I know. For years, I struggled with depression and suicidal ideations. I saw myself as a victim of life's rude, terrible circumstances. I was perpetually broke, perpetually struggling, and living without a family or any form of safety net to help me. Existence was painful. I thought about ending it so frequently that it scared me. Let me tell you something very real about depression. It has physiological effects. Depression for me was far more than just a mental state. It affected my entire being. I would miss days of classes in college because I could not get out of bed because it felt like an elephant was sitting on my chest. Get up, do something simple, take a shower, eat something. You can do this. I would feverishly coach myself and then proceed to not move a muscle for hours on end. I was consumed by it. Depression made it literally impossible to function. I felt like Toru Okada from Haruki Murakami's novel The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle, trapped at the bottom of a black well, unable and furthermore unwilling to climb out. Will has nothing to do with it, in fact. If I could have willed myself out of depression, I would have. People treat depression and anxiety and other mental health issues like they're a choice, like you could pull yourself out of it without any assistance if you just tried hard enough. That is simply and categorically false. You can be the wealthiest, most beautiful, and most loved person in human history and still struggle mentally despite all your best efforts to the contrary. Plummeting into an emotional freefall, crippled by anxiety, and consumed by bleak, toxic thoughts, I knew I had to get help. 
Yet, having been independent and self-reliant for so long, I had no idea how to ask for help or who to ask for that matter. Everyone saw me as a strong person, and to admit how bad things had gotten would be admitting failure. The first person I talked to about my mental health was my gynecologist, and only because she surprised me by asking, and I surprised myself by telling her the truth. When I revealed how even getting out of bed to face another miserable day took a Herculean effort, she started me on Lexapro immediately. While antidepressants were ultimately not the way I got better, being prescribed something to treat my depression actually made me realize how badly I needed help. I started going to therapy and it saved my life. Therapy is not for the weak. It's for the strong. Therapy isn't reclining on a couch and narcissistically recounting details of your day or whining that things didn't go your way, despite how Woody Allen films make it look. It's not about complaining and it's not about blame. Therapy is where you learn tools of coping and they are tools that one is not naturally equipped with. Even the smartest person you know can be a mystery to themselves. Like Kanye West, a celebrity who famously struggles with bipolar disorder once said, I had treasures in my mind, but couldn't open up my own vaults. Therapy reveals the mystery. A good therapist will put the work back on you by providing you ways of dealing with unwanted thoughts, bad habits, and toxic tendencies, and then reinforcing good, positive behaviors. Cognitive behavioral therapy in particular gave me the best results. What I realized from my own experiences is that we tend to keep our mental health issues a secret because we don't want to burden others, because we are ashamed of appearing broken. There's an implicit acknowledgement in modern society that all humans struggle from time to time, and I remember feeling like I would be adding to my loved one's own issues by telling them mine. I played my cards close to my chest, never letting on that I was anything less than superhuman, when in reality, I was falling apart. I was so incredibly lost in a nightmare of my own making. Here's the truth. I'm still not great at letting people in, and I rarely talk to my closest friends about my mental health. Bourdain's suicide has prompted me to reconsider this behavior. In the aftershocks of his death, a dear friend of mine posted on Twitter that he was once on the edge of suicide, pills in hand, and that a phone call from a friend checking in would have saved him. He saved himself ultimately, but he said that hearing from someone in his time of need would have made a huge difference. When one of my loved ones recently told me they had started medication to treat their anxiety, I was shocked because they had never once mentioned struggling with that condition. I didn't know, and because of that, I was unable to offer any help. I regret that I could have been a shoulder to cry on, a listening ear, or a soothing presence to someone I care so deeply about, but I wasn't able to because I didn't know it was happening. The problem is that we keep our issues hidden, tucked away in our aching chests, so we never know when someone is struggling, and it's not cool to just assume that about them. I see two things that need to happen here. We need to destigmatize mental health issues to the point where we are comfortable telling people about the current state of our respective psyches, and we need to be reaching out to each other more and checking in. Resolve today to be more open about your issues and to ask the people you love how they are doing or if they need help. Men, this advice to share your feelings goes double for you. Morbidly, in researching this piece, I came across a Wikipedia page listing celebrity suicides and methods. 90% of the celebrity suicides listed were committed by men. 
I am convinced that the reason is toxic masculinity or the idea that you have to toughen up and be a man by not showing or sharing your emotions, internalizing them instead, where they eat you alive from the inside out. Recently, the star center of the Cleveland Cavaliers, Kevin Love, revealed that he had anxiety, including panic attacks during crucial basketball games. In a powerful essay advocating for destigmatizing mental health among men, he wrote, Growing up, you figure out really quickly how a boy is supposed to act. You learn what it takes to be a man. It's like a playbook. Be strong. Don't talk about your feelings. Get through it on your own. So for 29 years of my life, I followed that playbook. And look, I'm probably not telling you anything new here. These values about men and toughness are so ordinary that they're everywhere and invisible at the same time, surrounding us like air or water. They're a lot like depression or anxiety in that way. There are so many types of mental health issues and nearly all of them have effective treatments available. Some are circumstantial, some are chemical, some are both. All have a path forward that does not involve taking your own life. Finally, I want to let you know that you are not a burden. Asking for help does not signify weakness or failure. You can get help. You can radically change how you think about yourself and others. You can heal. You can share your struggles with the people you care about and who care about you. You are not alone. You are loved. If you or someone you know are in crisis, are considering suicide, or simply need someone to talk to, we recommend booking an appointment with the caring and wonderful therapist at the Lighthouse Arabia, located on Al Wassel Road in Al Safa 2, by calling 971 4 380 9298.